Corey, we haven't talked a lot about potential MVP candidates here on the Tape to Tape pod. But at a moment on Tuesday night, mm-hmm. eh, maybe there was two or three fingers of bourbon involved, but... There usually is. When, <laughs> there usually is when you're watching the... So watching hockey at 1045. <laughs> when Ryan O'Reilly buried in overtime against the Leafs, mm-hmm. I just thought to myself, do we need to start talking about this guy in the MVP race? He was good when St. Louis was bad. Mm-hmm. He's been good when St. Louis has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Point per game, new career high, 200-foot monster. I mean, I know the answer is no, but I had a moment. He's a player the Buffalo Sabres could sure use right now. Oh, man. Now. Um I mean, you're not wrong. He he's been in a consistently normal, in a normal year, sure. Right in a normal year, he might be making a, a beeline for the Hart Trophy uh, conversation. Like you said, he does everything. He's so responsible defensively. Maybe he'll be getting a little bit more selkie buzz now than he was early in the season. That's going to be an uphill battle too. There's a lot of really good players there, but I mean, for me. Nikita Kucherov has to be, I know Patrick Kane is making a good charge here, but Nikita Kucherov to me has to be starting to run away with this award. He's got 99 points through 61 games, but I think if you look at just his last 41 games, that's a half of a season. He would be on pace for 152 points. Crooked numbers. That's unbelievable. That's a crazy pace that he's on for. And that's uh, that, that's about 18 more than what Patrick Kane would be on for on pace for over the same amount of time. So I know that the case against him is that, hey, he's got a lot of great players around him and everything like that. But the reason why Tampa is so good is because they're so stacked. And I don't think you can take that away from him. Plus, a lot of Patrick Kane's success and the Blackhawks as a whole started to come when they put Kane back with Jonathan Taze. So if you're going to hold it against Kucherov, I think you have to hold it against Kane to a degree, too. But this is the third year in a row Kucherov has been ascending, and I think we've gotten to the point where we have to acknowledge that, hey, this guy on his own is yeah. one of the best players in the league. You know who would have loved to have Kucherov or Kane or O'Reilly on his team? Sportsnet's Doug McLean. Oh, yeah. Especially on that 96 Panthers team that uh, <laughs> they had their share of grinders. Not that much elite-level skill, but Doug, of course, the coach of that team that went to the final and lost to the Avs in four games, and the coach GM for a time in Columbus and then president and coach of the Blue Jackets and of course was there when that franchise got off the ground. We are going to speak to Sportsnet's Doug McLean about what this time of year is like for the man in the big chair. Man, you've got to have some sweaty palm moments when the fur is flying here at trade deadline in the month leading up to it. Also think it's probably a little bit of fun, but we're going to find out firsthand from Doug what it's like to go through this hectic, stressful month for a GM and get his thoughts on some of the things that are happening here in advance of the 2019 NHL trade deadline on Monday, February 25th. On the other side of the break, coming up, Sportsnet's Doug McLean. The Tape to Tape podcast is brought to you by the next generation GMC Sierra Denali, complete with the world's first six-function multi-pro tailgate. Net sliding around on the way to pond hockey? Use the built-in load stop to help keep them in place. Loading what seems like half a team's worth of bags? 
The tailgate also turns into a step for easier access and has an inner gate that flips down for unloading all the gear you can fit. GMC Sierra Denali. We are professional grade. We are joined by someone who, for better or worse, altered the course of your life. You want to tell Doug McLean here how your hockey existence is linked to one of his teams forever? You're not going to believe this, Doug. I am a living, breathing Florida Panthers fan. Wow. Since 1996. (laughs) It's shocking. It's shocking how many of those people are still around. And And I hear from them. Obviously, because I live in Florida, I, I run into lots of them. But it's even in Canada, it's 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 amazing how many you run into. But I didn't realize you were. Well, that's 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 exciting. The Panthers. So how reach, old were you? You were a kid then. I would have been 13 years old at, at that wow. stage. Yeah, grade eight. Sucked in by the rats. Yep, yep. I filled out the uh, the playoff pool in our classroom. Yeah. I get to the final, which is where I had them going to. I had them winning, and there they play my best friend's favorite team. Quebec slash Colorado, and so I had to stick with them. Yeah, that's and twenty years. That on. was the height. <laughs> it, it was it was amazing uh, the the number of people that remember the rats. Yeah, it really is amazing, and that happened in Game Five, I think it was of our of our of this of that season, and it it took off. Now, one quick story I'll tell you on the rats is, mom and dad uh, were watching the games in PEI. And when we'd score, they'd throw rats or they'd throw socks at the TV. You know, they'd have like pairs of socks. <laughs> Balled up. So I did an interview in Florida and I mentioned this in, with Dan Lebetard. Oh, yeah. Who was the columnist at the time. And Dan mentioned this in his column. Wayne Izinga FedExed a box of rats to my parents so they would have real rats. <laughs> and Dan Lebetard flew to PEI. And watched a game with mom and dad. That's amazing. At the house with the, you know, when we were in the final. So it was pretty, it was a pretty, uh, it was a pretty cool thing. I, I, I chuckle about it. We laugh about it all the time. And I, there's many times I've been in my hotel room on the road and I'll turn on the TV and, and a, a classic game will come on. I'm thinking, I'm watching these, this game and I'm thinking, oh my God, were we that dirty? And did we play that, uh, that style? Oh, man. No wonder Mario and Yager hated us. <laughs> anyway, it's funny. That's great. All right. Well, always fun to reminisce, but uh, obviously a critical time of year, Doug. Right now, we're recording this early Thursday afternoon. We don't want to get lost too much in the weeds of you know who might go where because news can break so quick, but as a one-time GM, you've been through this time of year. Uh, we wanted you to sort of, you know, break down just a little bit what it's like for the men doing this job. Um, I, I'm guessing it's very stressful right now, but do you do you think they also get a rush out of this time of year? Isn't this kind of why you do the job to begin with? You get a real rush, and and when you're a GM in the summertime, you're always monitoring who people sign especially when they're rivals. So, you know, I'd be, and even in Columbus when we were, you know, an expansion team and we weren't a contender, you'd still watch who people were signing. So what happens right now, especially for the contenders, is they're watching it like who's going to get Stone, who's going to get Panarin, who's going to get this guy, who's going to get that guy. 
because it can affect the competitive balance. So if you're Winnipeg and you're Toronto and you're Boston and you're, you know, Tampa and you're all the contenders, you're sitting there saying, who's going to get these guys and how does it affect it? And right now, when you're looking at the, the, the teams that are mentioned most often, it's the Nashvilles, it's the Winnipegs, it's the Calgarys, it's it's the Bostons, it's the Tampas, it's the, it's the teams that have a chance to win. So that's the fine thing. Do you get a rush out of it? You get a real rush out of it. I mean, there's there's nothing like sitting in your office with your staff, with your you know your assistant GM, your director of player personnel, your director of amateur. Everybody's there. Everybody's heavily involved because you're talking draft picks, you're talking tra- uh, prospects, you're talking players off your team, you're playing talking about guys that are in the American League. So you need your entire group there because you need to know information about players that you don't know, you've never heard of, you know, you can't know everybody. So it's a really intriguing time to be a GM, to be quite honest. And it's always fun when you bring your your key staff people together and uh, it becomes a, you know, a four or five day marathon. That leads into the next question nicely, because we, we always hear when trades are made that the GM's out there talking about how this has been in the making for a couple of months or a couple of weeks. Nothing comes together too quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you get to trade deadline day, how does that actually unfold as a GM? Like, do you go in with, this is plan A, plan B, plan C, and if all of them fall apart, do you call audibles? Do you stick to your plans? And to your point, like you get together with your entire team. And I have to imagine that you, you have some idea of your strategy and where the day might take you. Yeah, you, you, you. Typically, probably you're you're ten days out, you're two weeks out, where you're where you're talking to people, and you have a game plan as to what you'd like to accomplish. It's very similar to July first. You know, you have your sort of plan in place, and then you you go from there. Trades happen really bizarre. I mean, I I, I remember out of the blue getting a call from Mike Smith in Chicago on Spotchik. You know, out of the blue, it happened. It, it, it was a call that came at 20 to 3 on trade deadline day. I, w- I wasn't really looking. I, I should say I was looking. I had Lyle O-line, and I traded Lyle at 20 to 3 for Spotchik and a second-round pick. And it just happened out of the blue. There was no preliminary work done on it. Mike just looking, hey, I need some toughness on the back end. You know, so he, he calls. Then there's others that have been in the works for two weeks and happen or don't happen. So it, it's sort of all over the map, to be quite honest. But you do have a game plan of going in as to who you want to move, number one. And when you're a expansion team especially, it was more about who I wanted to move and and make room for a kid or move to get rid of money. That, that was the frustrating part of me at a trade deadline versus trying to pick up guys that would t- take us to the next level. In Florida, when I was coaching, it was a little different because Brian was looking to, you know, we brought in a Ray Shepard. We brought in some key elements, you know, at, at, at trade deadline that helped us. So it, it was always frustrating from my point of view to be an expansion gym because it wasn't the same as a shovel day off or these guys that are contenders trying to put their team over the top. Yeah, you, you want that, you know, you want to rub your hands together and see what can we get to put us over That's the right. top, like you said. Now, July 1st was it was a more intriguing time. I remember when we signed Adam Foote, it was like, hey, we this is a big signing for us. This is a guy that's going to come in and be our captain. This is going to be, you know, a, a, and it, we were up against 12 teams and we were really working. It was a recruiting thing. Trade deadline was, was a little different for me. Mm-hmm. So 
when you're on the phone with different GMs, is it kind of case by case in terms of how you deal with each one? You kind of have to know their personality. Some you're going to say, you know, you take the approach of you got three minutes to get back to us and hang up the phone. And some, you know, if we try to strong arm them, it's not going to work. You know, uh, yeah, it was different personalities and you had guys that you, you, you know, you made big deals with, you talked to a lot and, and, uh, you know, you have friends in the group that you you relate to better. I mean, I, you know, it, it was it was all over the map. So, it, I I never really tried to strong arm, but you just told people the way it is. You yeah. know, uh, you know, I remember I did a deal with Pierre Lacroix, and it, we had to keep it quiet. And Pierre said to me, and this was a great lesson for me as a as a young GM. He said, Doug, here's the deal: we'll make this trade. We can't announce it for a week. If it gets out. If this gets out, I know it came from your organization because it'll never come out of my organization. It was a Colorado were a tight-lipped group, and I remember saying to my staff, "If this gets out, this trade is is done." So if it ever gets out, and it was a valuable lesson as far as leakage in your organization. There's nothing a GM hates worse than than talk that I'm talking to another guy, another GM, and I've got my staff in the room, and all of a sudden it's out in the media. And it's really challenging. And I never had one thing ever get out that I didn't want out. Never. And I, I credit my guys for that. I had a, you know, they were a loyal, loyal group. So it was a great lesson from Pierre Lacroix. So that you're always worried about that. And it's, today it's unbelievable. Well, I was going to say today. It's unbelievable today. I don't know how the guys do it. <laughs> Seriously, I don't know how they do it. And now I'm guilty of getting it out hey, there. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. Um, if you're looking at acquiring a guy who's on an expiring contract, but he's open to negotiating an extension with you, and on yeah. this deadline that's related to Matt Duchesne, maybe Mark Stone, yeah. with the tampering rules that are there, like just what is that yeah. process? You go to the team and you say, I'm interested in this player. Do you have a window to negotiate? Or how, how does that unfold? It's a really important part of, of the Duchesne. And here's the challenge. Duchesne has been offered $64 million by Ottawa. So that gets out, Okay. So Duchesne is saying, okay, and his agent are saying, well, we got $64 million. If we're going to go somewhere else, we want the $64 million. So there's, I suspect what's going on right now is whoever is the leading candidates, let's say it's Nashville, you would touch base with Pierre Dorian and say, I want, I want to be able to negotiate because if I'm, bringing, if I'm paying this price for Matt Duchesne, I want him on a deal. If I'm Duchesne's people, I'm saying – Let's let's get a, tr- a sign and trade deal done. So Duchesne gets his eight times eight. Nashville give up the assets. They get Ottawa do better on it because you know you're going to pay more of a price if you can get a guy signed. That's the difference of acquiring a Duchesne versus a Panarin. Panarin won't talk about an extension, or that's what we're led to believe. So the price point should be, you know, higher. So yeah, you ask teams for a window to negotiate. That's that's what you do. If you do it under the table and lots of – look, it's been done. It happens all the time. But I, I, don't, I don't like it. I think you can get in some big-time trouble with it. What's Did it? I ever tamper? Doug, Doug Mayer may not be touching his nose right now and winking. I remember saying to an agent, I'm really – what are you looking for, Doug? This was before July 1st. What are you looking for? Well, I'm looking for – a. A right-hand defenseman who's got great leadership skills and, you know, he's 
solid guys won a couple of cups the agent saying i think i might have a guy but i i don't i don't know who you're talking about but let me look at my list so so say say that you know duchene is a million dollar fine i think too eh? (laughs) say duchene is going to be moved and it's to a team that reportedly would be interested in signing him but that that deal doesn't get done before the trade happens but you're trading him thinking he might sign afterwards, and I'm not getting as much as I would if he if he signed this contract at the time of the trade. Do you are you trying to still get that full value out of the player, even though he's not signing the contract at the time of the trade? You're you're, you're trying to you're trying to you, you've got to set what what the value is, what you want for the player. I mean, sometimes guys aren't realistic, and I've had conversations where I'll phone about a player, and it's it's not even realistic. It's not in the ballpark. Um, it's a, it's sort of a complicated situation to, to me, and it puts a lot of pressure on Kekalainen versus, a, let's say, a David Poyle, if in fact they were given permission. I don't know this, but I suspect that, you know, it, it just makes more sense to, if you have a relationship with the guy, to ask permission, start the negotiation, and that may be the telltale whether you make the trade or not. If if Nashville can't get him signed and can't agree to the right term, then I, I you know I, I wouldn't do the deal for what they're asking for. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You know that that's sort of where it, where it heads. What's it like when you're a GM and you've got a guy like Jesse Pugliarvi who I have to imagine there's a pit in your stomach trading away a guy like that who you haven't seen him put it together in your organization, but you're scared to death. He could go do it somewhere else. I even think this year with a guy like Dylan Strome, who just yeah. couldn't make it happen in Arizona, and here he's, he's basically a point-per-game guy in Chicago. It's got to be uh, an agonizing moment to say, do we cut ties with this guy or not? Yeah. You know what? It's uh, that Your draft picks are a really tough thing. I, I remember uh, we were playing a game in Arizona early in our franchise, and I looked at the game, and I had 10 draft picks playing on the ice. There's sort of a, a unwritten rule out there that if you have 10 draft picks playing on your team, you have a chance to take a major step as an organization. Typically, history has shown you don't win a Stanley Cup unless you have 10 drafts on your team, 10-plus drafts on your team. And history has shown that if you went back the last 20 years and really look how many draft picks are playing on a, on a Stanley Cup winner, you'd be shocked how close that number is. Yeah. So I remember sending out to my scouts, hey, Guys, congratulations. We're playing tonight in Arizona, year five or six of the franchise, and we've got 10 draft picks playing tonight. And I, it was a big moment for our franchise. And then all of a sudden, LeClaire has major knee surgery, careers in jeopardy. Brule fractures his sternum, breaks his leg, concussions, career in jeopardy. It was bizarre how it can really throw it off. So I can't imagine what they're going through with Pugliarvi because he's a third overall pick and what is going on with this guy. And to me, they don't even consider it till they bring in their new hockey guy, whoever the new GM is going to be. He's the guy that's got to make the call on Pugliarvi. Nope. I don't mind putting him in the minors, but to trade a third overall pick before your new hockey guy comes in, it doesn't make any sense to me. So they got to stall let the new guy come in, and he makes the call on Pugliarvi. 
It's not like he's a 25-year-old guy who's been struggling for a long time. Like, especially a team (laughs) that is in such dire need of guys, of wingers. Yeah. And, I mean, you got Nugent Hopkins, you got Connor, Connor, you got Dreisaitl, but they need wingers. And this guy's a big winger. And what has gone south with this guy? People love this guy. So, anyway. Now, because of the situation Edmonton is in, like, do you do you ever you, you can't be making trades based on what your fans want? But do do you feel the pressure in a situation like that where you're thinking, man, I have to do something? But you know, what do they have to trade? There's not a lot to move there for any value. But but do you feel that pressure? Like I need to do something by the time the deadline passes. You feel unbelievable pressure uh, from your fan base. I, I'm I'm sorry. You know, you, you can't you can't make deals based on it. You do everything in your power to do what's best for your organization, but you feel pressure from your fan base. And and I I felt it like I would wake up in the morning and honest to God it was like there was a mask right there. How do I get through this day? You know, the pressure was unbelievable. And I was in Columbus. I can't imagine what these guys are going through yeah. right now. So to say you don't know what your fan base is feeling to know to say there's no pressure from your fan base is BS. There's extreme pressure, and and you get it every day, every which way, everywhere you turn. And I was in, like, I was in Columbus for ten years, and I felt pressure. I can't imagine what these guys are feeling out there right now, and I kind of enjoy seeing the squirm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we know you got to run, Doug, but can't let you go without. Just big picture, any strong hunches just in terms of couple teams to watch? Your spidey sense going off about look out for this team or that team. I think before Monday um, they're going to do something big. Yeah, I, I think I think Nashville with their window is where it is, is going to be a team to really watch. Calgary intrigues me. Winnipeg intrigues me. Um, the dark horse might be Vegas. Yeah. Vegas might pull something off here because, you know, those are the teams I'm sort of really, really focusing on. Toronto, when you're looking at playing Boston in the first round, they've got to be seriously looking, and vice versa, Boston have got to be looking. So I, those are the teams. I'm kind of excited because it's the contenders that are the most active. Sure. Because they got to tilt it one way or the other. Well, the Sox story is fantastic. Will you come back again sometime and tell us some more tales? <laughs> Anytime, guys. <laughs> All right. That is Sportsnet's Doug McLean. Rory, one thing I always notice about guys like Doug, who used to work on the quote-unquote inside, they still light up when they tell those stories yeah. about having the job. And even when you can tell, you know, as he joked about, he likes seeing the guy squirm now, and now he's one of the guys looking for information. <laughs> you can always tell there's part of them that – um still just longs to be in there making the deals, you know, it's just when it's in your blood like that, it just always comes through. And there's so few of those opportunities, right? 31 right now, soon to be 32. But um, I mean, you're, you're, you are in the middle of it and you are putting your own personal stamp on one of the NHL's teams. And it's going to have long lasting implications. Even after Doug was gone, you know, his, his moves were reverberating through that Blue Jackets organization for a while. So you're really, you're part of the history of the league. You're, you're a major part of the history of that franchise. If you're Doug, you're there from the day it was, yeah. it was first born, right? And I, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, it's one thing to be a GM of a team in a Canadian market or a, a, a team that's long established somewhere and entirely another when you're building it from scratch right on up, right? So you, you know the ins and outs, you know everything about that organization. And so... 
I would have to imagine any time that you're able to talk about it and relive those, it's just it's good memories, even though there are some decisions that I think he would want do overs on. Sure. It's 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 the experience of being that GM. It's it's the peak of the mountain if that's what you want to do. Yeah, yeah. It's easy to see why people claw and scratch to get in and try and land uh, themselves a job like that because it's definitely the uh, you know I've heard the saying it's it's a, a job you live not a job you work <laughs> it's right. all consuming when you do it but uh, they do it because uh, they love it so much there are some people out there right now trying to put their stamp on their team whether it's for the next few months leading up to the cup or uh, even for years beyond this one so it's time to get to a little trade talk. We're going to take a brief pause here. Then on the other side of the break, we're going to give our last thoughts here because the deadline is coming up in a few days on Monday. Last kick at the can in terms of who might be headed where and what to expect. Stick around on Tape to Tape. Looking to stream over 500 NHL games blackout free? Sportsnet Now is the product for you. Available to anyone over the internet, Sportsnet Now gives you 24-7 access to Sportsnet's channels, including content not available on TV. You can stream on the go or at home on your big screen from the most popular devices, including smartphones and tablets, Apple TV, Xbox, PlayStation, and Chromecast. Sign up for as long as you want and cancel whenever you'd like. You can also stream the NBA, MLB, Premier League, all your favorite Sportsnet original programming, and more. Visit snnow.ca for more details. There's a lot of speculation heading into this one. The Bruins were acquiring Charlie Coyle. During the game, the Bruins have made it official. Charlie Coyle is coming home to Boston. It's an opportunity for this young man. You know, he's a terrific player. Maybe he hasn't realized his full potential in Minnesota. So maybe that change of climate or atmosphere or, or culture that the Bruins have to offer will spur him to be the player that he can be. We do feel there's a, a need there at third line center. Frederick's been doing well, but he's young. Uh, we feel that I've been told I think that's his best position. Uh, can he go up and play right wing, especially with, you know, Pasta out? Yeah, he can play with Kretsch or Bergie Marsh somewhere up in the lineup. So we're fortunate. I think it's a good acquisition because of that, because he can fill either hole. Welcome back to Tape to Tape, Rory. A couple trades to talk about briefly. We won't spend any time really on Washington getting Carl Hagelin. I don't think that moves the needle a whole bunch. But Charlie Coyle is one of the rare instances where something is rumored forever and then actually happens, even involving the team he was most heavily linked to. He finally does go to the Boston Bruins for Ryan Donato and a fifth rounder. We know Coyle versatility underperformed in terms of numbers, but I think there's universal agreement that after hearing about his name in trade rumors for two years, he's probably going to be pretty excited to go to a good team in his part of the country, and that could get the fire stoked a little. Yeah, Coyle hasn't ever really lived up to his his, uh, his potential. 28th overall pick in 2010. Remember, he came to Minnesota as the centerpiece of a Brent Burns trade, sending him to the Sharks at the time, and 
And Coyle, he was always somebody on my radar. I, I would have him on my fantasy teams most years early on there, waiting for when's this big break. There's three coming. guys in Minnesota you have every year. Right. Grandland, right. who then I think I gave up on him the year he finally did, but that's another story. Niederreiter was probably one of yes. those guys, and now he's finding himself in Carolina maybe. And then, what was it, two years ago, we had 56 points, and maybe that was his breakout season, but then he's kind of fallen back here and again, 28 points in 68 games this season. What I find interesting about that trade to Boston, though, is – from a Toronto Maple Leafs perspective. If you're a fan of that team and you are of the belief that you need to get bigger, you need a little bit more of that toughness in case you face off against the Bruins in the playoffs, Quayle is six foot three, two 220 pounds, and he can play either the center or the wing. If he plays center, he's probably going to be with David Backus on that third line. If he plays wing, there's a chance he's up on the second line and you've got Jake DeBrusque on the opposite wing. And then, of course, you've got the super line up top when everybody's healthy. Which I bet you if you just stuck Coyle up there, his numbers would spike. You could move Pasternak down to drive another line. I don't think that's what they – I think they like the big boys together, but even that would be an interesting option. And the big boy line has just dominated Toronto. So if you start there and now you have these two other lines that have some huge bodies on them, if that's going to continue to be a problem for Toronto – um, I think that's a strategy for Boston to go in with. But but Coyle, you know, even though he doesn't put up a ton of numbers, or, or I shouldn't say he doesn't put up numbers that were originally expected of him, but he's really good along the boards, obviously a, a big, strong guy. And it, that's just going to make it a little bit more difficult for, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And if he's playing center and you're on that third line and he's going to be up against one of those guys, Matthews, Tavares, or, or Kadri, whoever it is, it just it gets a little bit tougher. So if you are of the belief that the Maple Leafs need more size, I think that need becomes a little bit more urgent now. Minnesota's interesting because you kind of have two sides of the coin here, whereby the Wild are a team that's right in the thick of the playoffs, has basically been in a spot until very recently, but they're kind of coming down on the side of at least half-hearted seller here. That's the context we're talking about them. Another team that we've been talking about as a seller and maybe it's changing now but is officially in the race is carolina you have these teams that are right there or even in there at times that are still maybe looking toward the future and then you have teams that are basically in no better position a team like columbus just one point in and we talk about the blue jackets as a team that at the very least might just want to keep panarin and bobrovsky and just go for it and dallas is another one that's you know kind of in a little bit of a precarious situation as not a little bit quite a precarious situation just a couple points up they've been squeezed down by st louis but dallas is a team that is clearly looking toward trying to add and believes if it can get in it can do something yeah so we know all the teams that are pretty much locked into a playoffs all the big contenders they're going to buy to me What's going to be really interesting around this deadline are those teams kind of on the bubble, and Dallas is one. And the only difference between Dallas and some of these other teams that you mentioned is their CEO <laughs> in December had those famous comments about you know he, he was he about was, his best players he's criticizing <laughs> his best players. One of which has really excelled since then. Tyler Sagan has been awesome since those. Or comments. some people will tell you just stop hitting the post. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but to me. You know, you look at the way that depth chart is sorted out, and they have split up Radulov, Sagan, and Ben. Ben is now on a separate line from those two. Um, to me, I think they need not just one, but they need two forwards, two scores that are going to make some kind of a difference there. So maybe you can reunite those three, or at the very least, 
you you keep them apart and you can put these two new acquisitions in in those holes and you go in with two really strong looking lines jason spezza maybe radic facts are on your third line however you want to put that out three pretty good centers to go into the playoffs with but there's a clear motivation here and there's a distinct possibility that if they don't make the playoffs jim nill is out of a job as gm so he's going to feel the pressure to have to do something there their goaltending has been great they do have some good high-end scoring. Their defense has been pretty strong, too. I think Jim Montgomery has done a pretty good job there. There's just no scoring depth, which has led to a lack of consistency. But you can see when they're on their game and playing well, it's one of those games where Dallas is clearly clicking. They're very fast. Yeah. There's there's a lot of potential there, and they look like a team that, oh, maybe they could upset somebody. And then you watch them the next night, and it's like, oh, well, they're going to get swept in the first round. And that's the balancing act, like... I don't think you want to make a trade just to get into the playoffs and get blown out in the first round by somebody. I think if you make two, at least that gives you a chance to hang with somebody. If you get a hot goalie, if Ben Bishop is on for you for a couple of games or whatever. But that's the difference to, as far as I can tell between Dallas and Colorado or Chicago or whatever is, is there is this clear push from the top that the expectation is we're doing something. And it looked like, a couple of weeks ago, just as St. Louis was catching fire, that Dallas was pretty solidly in a playoff spot. They were kind of catching fire on their own. They kind were of locked in third. Yeah. yeah, and now you look at the standings today, and again, we're recording this on Thursday, and they hold the first wild card spot, and they're just two points clear of Colorado and Chicago and, and three clear of Minnesota. So I asked Doug, I'll ask you, just in general, hunches, spidey sense in terms of Watch out for Team X or a stealth move, something you're just looking for ahead of the deadline on Monday? Well, I think, you know, this isn't a stealth move, but you know Winnipeg is going to do something massive. Feels and like both central teams, Nashville and, and Winnipeg, are in real push-it-in mode. Yeah, and the interesting thing is I think definitely Winnipeg, you feel pretty good about saying they're a Stanley Cup contender, but even they are going through a bit of a stretch here where the power play is slowing down. I mean, Patrick Laine's struggles have been going on for a number of months now since the end of November. He has just four goals. Um, but then what do you, how do you, how do you look at that and say, okay, these are just the struggles of a team that knows it's in the playoffs and going has through the, the very real, yeah. yeah, like it's, it's a grind, right? Especially when you know you're going to get there. Um, how do you parse out what what is that grind and what are the actual real needs for this team? Even Connor Hellebuck has been a little average yep. yeah, this year. So maybe you want to do something about that, although Lauren Brassois has been very good as his backup. Um, and then at the at the, the behind them, Nashville is very much pushing them, but they have very real problems. Like power play has been a problem all year long for them. Pecorini has been slipping. They, they have some scoring depth issues, so they should be motivated to go out and do something big. And if Nashville does something big, I feel like Winnipeg has to fire back. And is that Mark Stone, who's from there? Everybody talks about that. Can they get him signed? Is it going to be a move like last year where you bring in a, a centerman? And is it Matt Duchesne, is it somebody else as a rental player? You slot in on your second line, and maybe he can get Patrick Line going. And that moves Brian Little down, because it worked really well for the, the Jets last year just doing something like that. The thing... With Winnipeg, it's very much like Toronto's situation. This might be your best shot before all your big young contracts start kicking in next year to really go hard and completely all in with what you have. Well, I was going to mention the Leafs because I don't think we talk about them yet in the same category as Winnipeg and Nashville in terms of having that same level of urgency. Although, you mentioned the contracts and 
you look at where they are now, they're now almost essentially locked into a Boston matchup in the in the first round. All of a sudden, it looks like that's what's going to happen again. Yep. And then you'd have to beat Tampa. Yeah. Don't you have to load up if you have to beat both those teams? Well, that's the thing. Like you, you can make some pretty substantial moves, and and if it's there, if it's possible. I don't think I just want to add a right shot defenseman for my third pair. I, I think I want to, even though I, I feel very good about my forward depth, like if you can add some more pretty significant oomph to that, just look at Tampa Bay's lineup. Yeah. Like you try and say that they're going to be buyers of the trade deadline, and that's all fine and good, but you look at their depth chart and say, okay, where is this new player going to fit where in? Where are you putting them? Like is the only guy who you would consider you know, healthy scratching Braden Coburn, who's currently your number six. Like there's no other defenseman on that blue line who you want to sit. Matthew Joseph has got one of the best five on five goals per 60 rates. And he's up and down between the AHL and the NHL. And he's on your fourth line. So I, it's, it's hard to see where that fit is going to come in. So that's why Toronto, even though you look at that line and say, yeah, we have a top nine winger who might be playing on our fourth line. I still think you got to go hard and try and get something else if it's possible at the same time. You don't want to sell off your future for a rental player, I, I don't think. This this team still can really look into the future and say, maybe Rasmus Sandin does fit in here better in a couple of years and we're better off, or Timothy Lilligren is something along those lines. But if you can get somebody with term one or two years extra beyond this, then I think you really got to consider it because next year at the trade deadline, when Matthews has his contract, Nylander's contract is kicked in, Marner, if you get him done this summer, as everybody expects, there's not going to be the same kind of wiggle room to work with. Well, we can't bring our trade deadline season coverage to an end, Rory, without at least one more faux trade. What have you got for us? I can't believe I'm the one coming I know. this week. Okay, so the Colorado Avalanche needs scoring, scoring winger in particular. And the Florida Panthers didn't give up a ton for Mike Hoffman from the San Jose Sharks, right? Just a couple of draft picks beyond the first round. So what do you think of Florida ships Mike Hoffman to the Colorado Avalanche and coming back is... Defenseman Tyson Berry. I love Tyson Berry. He's got his defensive deficiencies, whatever. He scores a lot. He's a guy who can skate and move the puck really well. And right now, Mike Hoffman is playing on the third line in Florida. Um, I think, you know, the money is basically the same. Tyson Berry is, I think, $100,000 more. He's signed through next season, so you can take your run. And it just kind of fills out your defense core a little bit because... That's where I think Florida is maybe a little bit lacking right now is on the blue line. Well, we had to pick up the Florida thread on this pod in honor of Doug, for sure. <laughs> it would be the same thing as Coyle, where I'm sure Barry would be like, thank God, at last. I don't have to listen to the right. rumors anymore. Just get the deal over with. That does seem like one that matches one for one. And Hoffman's just a great example of one of those guys who's like, as long as you don't expect anything more out of him, just know what he is. He's yep. a shooter. He gets goals, man. Yep. Those guys make a lot of money. He is a specialist, and absolutely, I'd be looking at him as a, he's a support guy. And I think, you know, given what Colorado has on the first line, I'd be thinking about that. And as you said, it you look at Florida, it is a team that with the forward group it has, you could see sacrificing there. And even with like a guy like Owen Tippett coming, yep. um, it would seem to make sense. Yeah, and Hoffman is going to help Colorado's power play, you absolutely. think, which has been struggling massively. Absolutely. Um, maybe Nashville will come sniffing around there. Who knows? All right, call it in, Rory. It's uh, it's a winner. It meets with approval. If you are looking to follow the trade coverage on the big day, what you need to do is tune in to Sportsnet on the air as of 8 a.m. Oh, yeah, the whole team will be up there 
coffee flowing, ready to uh, talk about all the day's events. We always start, you know, there's that moment of panic in the morning. We're like, oh, my God, is something going to happen? Maybe all the <laughs> trades have happened. But, of course, of course, things kick up before the 3 p.m. deadline. And, you know, there are teams out there with the second tier guys who are saying, you know what, let's just wait to the day, let things shake out, and then we'll make our move when the teams, you know, when buyer X doesn't get who they want, they're going to circle back. So there's always some action to experience on deadline days. Check out Sportsnet. And of course, we will be talking, recapping uh, all the action on the tape to tape pod in coming weeks. And uh, yeah, it'll be stretch drive time officially the last full month of the season and uh, still some very interesting playoff races to be had. Make sure you are checking out Rory on Twitter at Rory Boylan, myself at Dixon on sports. Come back next time for more glass rattling hockey action on tape to tape.